With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm professional wrestler Colt Cabana. This is Pro Wrestling Fringe. Unique stories from a unique genre. For so long, I made a living on the outskirts of televised professional wrestling. I've wrestled on cruises, dirt patches in India. I've wrestled for the Inuits in the northernmost part of Canada. I've wrestled on the border towns of Mexico, for the Yakuza in Japan, from entertaining the hipsters, mixing lucha libre, burlesque, and cheap beer, to the ICP fans at the gathering of the Juggalos. I have one of the oddest and most diverse resumes in my profession. The Pro Wrestling Fringe Podcast is about sharing the bizarre stories, not that have happened to me, but that have been told in locker rooms and spread from generation to generation. And that's what they are, stories, unique stories from a unique genre. On this brand new episode, with the help of Colin Hunter, four kids live out every wrestling fan's fantasy. Afterwards... We'll talk to Colin Hunter about how he was able to get so many wild details about this event. And then after that, I talked to Ross Hart, brother of Brett and Owen and member of the legendary Hart family, who watched this whole thing go down firsthand. But for now, let's learn a little bit about the Calgary Kids. Professional wrestling is meant to be just that, professional, a job. You've learned a trade and you're applying it. Amateur wrestling has been around for thousands of years. Some start as young as two or three years old. In modern sports, you start young. You go through the youth leagues, play throughout your teenage years, and when you become an adult, you can become a professional. Wrestling has always been on that fine line. Because to be a professional wrestler, you must be a peak athletic performer. But due to the scripting of the performance, there is some leeway. Many luchadors will start young under a mask to hide their age on small, tiny shows in Mexico. Maybe a wrestler's kid will be put in a battle royal at a small show at a local VFW. I've even seen quote-unquote exhibition matches of two kids from the local wrestling club put on at the local independent wrestling show. And I'm sure this happens in some way, shape, or form in basketball, football, or baseball in small towns or the smaller leagues. But what about the NFL? Or the NHL? Or the NBA? 
These leagues are the very highest achievement in their respective industry. And these leagues, they're for adults. Kids just don't play professional sports. October 5th, 1996. The World Wrestling Federation was in Calgary, Alberta, Canada for a show at the Saddledome. The big stars of the era, of course, would be wrestling that night, but it's also not uncommon for local talent to meander around looking for work. And there was plenty of aspiring local talented wrestlers around Calgary in 1996. The city has a rich history of wrestling, founded almost entirely around the legacy of the Hart family, which ran the local Stampede Wrestling promotion. The Hart family had turned out many of wrestling's top stars, including Hart brothers Brett and Owen. If you wanted to make it big as a wrestler in Calgary back then, being connected to the Hearts was a huge asset. Landing even a small spot on a WWE house show in Calgary would be an incredible opportunity for any local hopeful. And this autumn Saturday in 1996, four local hopefuls got their shot. The four of them sat shoulder to shoulder on a bench in the Saddle Dome locker room, trying not to show how nervous they felt. It wasn't working. They felt so small compared to the WWF giants who wandered the locker room at the time. There was Vader, all 400 pounds of him. The Undertaker, at 6'10 and no less intimidating in person than on TV. Goldust was at the mirror applying his black and yellow makeup, and the deranged mankind was pulling a leather mask over his missing ear. And of course, Stone Cold Steve Austin, he was headlining that night, riding the biggest wave of mainstream popularity any wrestler had seen since Hulk Hogan a decade earlier. The four rookies were intimidated, but excited. It was happening. They were actually booked in a match on a WWF show. A tag match. And they'd be on first. Sure, it's a spot when most of the fans are buying Austin 316 shirts, but a spot on the show is a spot on the show. They sat there, shoulder to shoulder, on that bench, about to have an opportunity most aspiring wrestlers dream of. And without knowing what to do next, they needed one thing. A grown-up. You heard me. They needed a grown-up. One of the wrestlers, Harry Smith, was 11. He was 11 years of age. And the four of them? They had been dropped off at the arena by one of their dads. They were children. Harry was 11, but his father was the popular WWF wrestler, the British Bulldog. The oldest one of the crew was Teddy Hart. His mother, Georgia, was one of the dozen Hart family children. And his grandfather was Calgary's most famous wrestling promoter, Stu Hart. The second oldest of the four was TJ Wilson, who had reluctantly become friends with Teddy in high school over a shared interest in wrestling. And rounding out the foursome was an athletic 15-year-old classmate named Andrew Pekarnik. Andrew was never really meant to be the fourth, and he knew it. The dream all along was for brothers Teddy and Matthew Hart to perform as a tag team together. But sadly, that dream was cut short when Matthew unexpectedly died earlier that year from a flesh-eating disease. But as a supportive friend, Andrew filled in. And there they were. Four skinny boys in the worst parts of puberty, with one not even being close to hitting puberty, sitting in a WWF locker room, awaiting adult instruction. And they do eventually find it in longtime WWF referee Earl Hebner. 
Earl told the kids they have five minutes to perform their match, and before Earl could get another word out, Teddy Hart's compromise was 15. Teddy explained they would need 15 minutes. They had practiced and rehearsed the match for weeks in the ring on the Hart family lawn. They had the match down, move for move, beat for beat. They were going to need 15 minutes. And Hebner, he listened patiently. And then he proceeded to tell them, you got five minutes, no going to the floor. Which is wrestling jargon, for all the moves must be done inside the ring. Black Jack Lanza, a retired wrestler, would pull on his necktie at ringside, and that would be the cue to start wrapping up the match. Those were the instructions. And so it was settled. The fans took their seats. The house lights darkened. The Canadian national anthem would play over the loudspeaker, and then it would be time for the opening match. Their match. But their 15-minute masterpiece. How would they be able to trim it down? The no-going-to-the-floor rule could help maybe trim five minutes, but they were still left with ten minutes' worth of action. So the boys resolved to do what they thought would be the absolute best thing to do. They decided to just wrestle faster. They'd do all the moves, but, you know, quicker. They'd cram a 15-minute match into a five-minute match, not even considering whether a tag team match between children moving at triple the speed might look a little silly to the audience. This was their chance to shine in the WWF, and they needed to get their moves in. The rookies were welcomed by a mostly friendly crowd. Plenty of members of the extended Hart family were at ringside. Among them was a young lady named Natty Neidhart, daughter of the WWF wrestler Jim the Anvil Neidhart, whom TJ in particular was hoping to impress. Teddy and Harry had the honor of wearing ring gear loaned to them by Davy Boy Smith, spandex that clung so tightly to the British Bulldog's massive muscles sagged so loosely over the skinny legs of the teenaged boys. The boys had performed the tag team match pretty much exactly as they had practiced, minus some outside dives. And sure, they made mistakes. They were kids. Back-to-back suplexes by Teddy to TJ turned into a disaster when they got their choreography backwards. Twice. It actually looked so devastating that it was documented in the newspaper with TJ landing headfirst on the mat. It didn't stop them, though. Their adrenaline was surging, and they wanted to live in that moment forever. But they couldn't. Why? Well, because Earl Hebner kindly told them that it was time to go home. Nobody had seen Blackjack Lanza pull on his tie. But then again, I'm not even sure if they even had the sense to know to look for Blackjack Lanza pulling on his tie. But Earl Hebner said they had to finish up. So the boys hurried up to set up their spectacular finish. Teddy put TJ on the top rope and delivered the biggest top rope superplex he could do. And then Harry, having climbed to the opposite top turnbuckle, launched off with a flying headbutt exactly as they had practiced. Teddy Hart and Harry Smith, at a combined weight of 150 pounds and a combined age of 26 years old, were the victors. The crowd loved it. These hometown kids had just done something extraordinary and the hometown crowd of Calgary, Alberta, supported them as if they were their very own kids. And in the back, well, Barry Windham, then wrestling as the stalker and known for his finishing maneuver of a top-roped suplex, seemed openly annoyed that one of the kids in the first match would do his big move. But with congratulations of so many veterans and WWF wrestlers being given to the kids... 
Along with the presence of Davy Boy Smith fawning over his family, Wyndham cracked a smile and left the boys alone. The TV Guide, the Sunday Papers, they'd all published pictures of their matches, and they were the talk of the town and the talk of their school. And sure, their WWF debut didn't result in the kind of overnight stardom they had dreamed of, but it definitely was a foreshadow of things to come. All but Andrew went on to become full-time professional wrestlers. It wasn't Andrew's dream, though. He was there to help his friends achieve theirs. Teddy, Harry, and TJ all continued their training after that day, including private instructions in the wrestling room inside of Bret Hart's home. And on October 5th, 2006, exactly 10 years in the making, TJ Wilson returned to the WWF, now WWE, as Tyson Kidd. And Tyson would soon pair up with that one-time 11-year-old prodigy, Harry Smith. And TJ and Harry would form a trio called the Hart Dynasty, along with Natalia Neidhart, the same young lady who had been in the crowd that night at the Saddle Dome, the same young lady he'd go on to marry in 2013. Although you can still find Harry and Teddy wrestling around the world, TJ was forced to retire from in-ring action in 2015 with a neck injury. He's now a backstage agent, very similar to the role of Black Jack Lanza. Except TJ claims to have never seen anyone ever pull on a necktie to cue the ending of a match. 25 years ago, four boys ages 11 to 16 wrestled on a WWF show. In a WWF ring for a WWF crowd. Children. Being a publicly traded company with such a liability... Such a thing will more than likely never happen again. As a teenager, I daydreamed of playing in the same game as Michael Jordan or running on the same field with Walter Payton. But it was just a dream. It just wasn't realistic. But for one night in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, under the big and bright lights in the giant WWF ring with that huge arena feel, it was very real. And that was the night that four super fan wrestling kids got to live out all of our childhood dreams. Right after this break, Colin Hunter and I talk about how one phone call to TJ Wilson helped shape this whole story. Pro Wrestling Fringe, we'll be right back. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey, Colin. First of all, thank you so much for doing the story with me. 
Well, thank you for the invitation. I love this series. And uh, you and I worked on one of these before and uh, had so much fun. I was I was delighted when you asked me to do it again. The last one we did was tons of fun. And for this one, I said to myself, I need a Canadian. Yeah, well, I'm a, a Canadian boy, just like the uh, the four stars of the story. And like them, I was a huge wrestling fan growing up. I would go to these house shows, but I was always always on the other side of the barrier. Never had the experience that uh, these four had. I just dreamed of it. All right, let's get into the story a little bit. I wanted to talk about the overall story arc, which I, as the ultimate producer of the project, did change a little bit from your perspective. But I think that's the great part about the second half of these podcasts. We can acknowledge it, and I can also let you talk about it. The middle of the story was always the same, but you really put an emphasis on this being a house show where I kind of wanted to downplay that because I didn't want it to take away from the focal point that this is children wrestling. Yeah. I think it's just because a house show back then, literally at that time at that place may have been the only kind of situation where this could have ever have happened. If it was a TV show, they're not going to put an 11 year old and some 15 year olds on the, on Monday night raw it's the kind of show where, you know, the cameras aren't rolling. The rules are a little bit more lax. So they were able to do something like put four children in an opening match and let them go even you know, the five minutes that they were allowed, even though it wasn't the 15 minutes they had planned. If it were in front of cameras, I don't think it would have happened, first of all. And uh, I'm kind of glad it's not recorded because uh, we were able to create this sort of picture through storytelling, through your telling of the uh, <laughs> that strange day in 1996. Well, I guess that would lead to another one of my questions, which is footage of this match. It's not on YouTube. It's not on any networks or DVD specials. Can I, can I assume it just doesn't exist? Yeah. As far as I know, there is no footage of this match. That doesn't mean that the footage doesn't exist. Because even at house shows, you know, you can find house shows that were supposedly not recorded and they're on YouTube now. This footage has never shown up. And I kind of hope it stays that way. It, it was a one-time occasion and it almost lives more sort of beautifully in the storytelling, I think, than actual footage. Because let's be honest, it was probably a really clunky match. <laughs> they were kids. Yeah. Well, the last time I did a story about a missing match with Bret Hart and Tom McGee, a couple of years later, it became the holy grail of lost matches, and Mary-Kate Anthony ended up finding it in a closet. So here's to another wrestling fan checking their VHS bins. <laughs> I hope so. I, I discovered that match thanks to you. I had never heard of the Tom McGee match, and I just watched it the other day. So maybe maybe it will see the light of day, the four children in Calgary. When I ask writers to help me write these wrestling stories... Most people head to the internet and start researching articles and results or footage, but we were really lucky enough to have my good friend TJ Wilson or Tyson Kidd kind of be at our disposal. I imagine it made life much easier being able to hear the actual story from someone who was actually in the actual match. What was your approach to getting the notes that you needed in order to put this together? When you first asked me to uh, to look into this this story the four kids wrestling in calgary you told me the basics and you gave me tj wilson's phone number 
And, you know, we made a connection. And typically when I write an article about anything, you know, I was a real journalist in the past and I've written real, real journalism aside from kayfabe news. And in my journalism, I typically do a lot of research. I'll go and I'll Google somebody. I read their Wikipedia, check out videos. And I decided to do none of that with TJ because exactly like you said, he was there and I wanted him to paint a picture from the get-go. I said to him, start from the very beginning and walk me through this. And he was, uh, to his credit, he was willing to do so. It was a long conversation, but I really wanted to help the, your listeners understand what it felt like for these, these kids to be back there. And just the fear of being totally out of your depth, something we can all relate to. Everybody's been the youngest, least experienced person at the in the room at one point or another, feeling completely outgunned. I think this story has been told in bits and pieces here and there and documentaries, but your podcast, this storytelling format, is, is perfect for that. Maybe this story has been told in passing, but I don't think TJ's really detailed this story this in-depth. What were some of the bits that kind of stood out for you? So the details, like the fact that his friends and family were in the crowd, including Natty Neidhart, who would go on to become his wife, little details like how excited they were to be in the newspaper. Because remember, this was pre-internet or just sort of baby internet. So having the newspaper come down and take their photos was great. There's actually a little story that didn't make it into the podcast itself about uh, Teddy Hart kind of conning one newspaper of playing them off each other. Two newspapers were there and he would tell each of the other papers like, oh, they're going to run it on the front page. So you better run it on your front page. So here's this kid trying to get the two media <laughs> organizations to um, to sort of play off one another. You know, those kind of details sort of come out in the retelling as people start to relive these things, these little side stories and little memories. You know, I asked, well, who specifically did you see in the locker room? Okay. Barry Windham was there and you know, what period of Barry Windham's career was that? You know, after all this time, he was still sort of remembering the sequence of moves. This is uh, half a lifetime ago, but, uh, you know, he's remembering the suicide dives that had to get cut for time and how the moves got botched. You know, I, I think it's only in this long form storytelling that you can actually pull out those little details that stay hidden in your memory for decades. So I love that about Teddy Hart. And I believe it. Was there anything else that either you didn't put in the story or maybe I edited out of your version that kind of deserves to be told? There was a lot about this particular event that was, it was more than just a wrestling show. It was a charity event. Teddy Hart's brother, Matthew, who had died tragically uh, not long before of flesh eating disease. Andrew was his fill in the fourth boy. It was, um, a fundraiser. The story goes that Shawn Michaels donated his check. I think a number of charitable donations were made and, uh, yeah, I knew that they had connections to the Hart family, but I didn't know, for example, that they were training every single day after school for hours in the ring, in the Hart family yard. So they would go to school, you know, Teddy and TJ, I think were classmates or around the same age. And they would get on a bus and go up to the Hart house and train in the ring, uh, doing their 15 minute match over and over and over again. And, you know, sometimes Davy boy Smith would wander by and offer a pointer and Owen Hart would sub by or Brett, the Hitman Hart says, you know what, that move would look a little better if you did this. Like, can you imagine a better wrestling training than these these boys got and i love the fact that it was 10 years to the day 
to the day that TJ had his first WWE contracted match after that day that he wrestled with his friends as a teenager. I know you put a lot of TJ specific information in the story, and I did take some of it out because I didn't want it to be all TJ, and I wanted it to focus on them as a group of four. So I felt a little bad having to shave that out, but I knew this talk is where you could give TJ all the credit that he deserves and any last thoughts that you might have. TJ, I've heard on numerous occasions, is one of the nicest people in wrestling from numerous people. Clearly, you know, this is a case of someone who, you know, worked hard and had a dream and is still sort of living it in his own way. And it's crazy. When you look at the picture, TJ texted me a bunch of photos of the boys, uh, you know, before their match and after their match posing. And they're just these, they're literally children in their scrawny, you know, scrawny little children's arms and legs with their loose fitting clothing. But to see them now, you know, Davy Boy Smith Jr. is a is a giant and he's <laughs> uh, trained in MMA and wrestling. And I think if that moment hadn't happened for them, maybe the rest of their careers wouldn't have gone the way they did. It, it was probably a turning point for all three of them, maybe more than they even realized. Colin Hunter, owner and proprietor of Kayfabe News. Thank you so much for putting in the great work and helping me tell this great story. Thank you so much. It was a lot of fun. Colin Hunter is the creator and the writer of the amazing and hilarious satirical website kfabenews.com, which just celebrated its 10-year anniversary. It's like The Onion, but for wrestling fans. Like Kfabe News on Facebook and follow them on Twitter at Kfabe News. Also, show your support by buying a t-shirt over at prowrestlingtees.com slash kayfabe news I wanted to hear from someone who was at the show but not in the match itself so stick around till after the break where Ross Hart member of the wrestling famous Hart family explains his remembrance of just how everything went Pro Wrestling Fringe will be right back with the Lucky Land Slots you can get lucky just about anywhere This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Well, I'm uh, Ross Hart from the Hart family. I've been involved with Stampede Wrestling on, on many different levels. The ring debuts of three of my nephews, uh, Teddy Hart and Perry Smith, uh, the son of Davy Boy Smith, the British Bulldog. I had a tag match against T.J. Wilson, who later became uh, well-known as the Tyson Kid, and uh, Andrew Picard. Yeah, I've never seen anything like that before. You know, I think this is, this is a little different from... Backyard wrestling, you know, where, where, where kids are playing in a, in a school ground or even on some wrestling mats. Uh, this was in the summer of 1996, the annual Rockyford Rodeo Show. They had a chance to perform, but under difficult circumstances, the original match was going to feature uh, Teddy and his younger brother, uh, Matt or Matthew. 
That got injured, was hospitalized, and was diagnosed with flesh-eating disease and bravely fought it, was hospitalized for over a month before he uh, sadly passed away. The other three, Harry, TJ, and Ted, uh, really wanted to go through with the match. They thought it would be a nice tribute if they could still have the match, but they, they had only three of them. A high school friend of uh, Ted and uh, TJ's, Andrew Picarnik, just lived uh, up the hill, actually, from the hard house at his parents' place. He offered to take part in the match. They'd have to give him a crash course and train him and prepare him, and he actually did quite well. But Ted now would be a um, partner with, with Harry Smith against TJ who's the captain of the other team, and uh, Andrew Picarnik. So they had about a week to put together the match for the Rocky for Rodeo show, and uh, it was great. It was such a wonderful tribute that they could pay to Matt. And then uh, I guess Davey and my brother Owen uh, approached the WWE because they knew they had a show, a live show coming up the Saturday in October. You know, I know they arranged it at least a, a month ahead of time. So, they, you know, they, they, they probably maybe even approached... Uh, you know, whoever would have been the booker at that time. I don't know who Vince's right-hand man was around 1996. You know, it might have been Pat Patterson. It was kind of a, a unique novelty match. But I think Davey and Owen really uh, pulled some strings there. And they were on the show, too. Owen and Davey were um, in a tag match. I think they were defending the, the tag team title. So they were going to be at the show. And they would make sure that everything went pretty well and that the boys followed orders. And um, I went with Harry's... Uh, Mom, Diane, and she was my younger sister, and, and Georgia, and other family members, Georgia and BJ, Ted, and Matt's parents were there as well, and many family members were there. I think Owen's kids went as well, but I sat and watched the match with Diane and Georgia and uh, a couple of my other nieces, and I was excited. I, I, had, I hadn't really helped them choreograph the match, but I, but I had seen them outside a lot at the, at the house. They had just practiced them so many times that uh, their uh, executions was pretty damn good, you know, especially for kids their age. So I was pretty pretty excited, though. You know, I, I didn't know how how well they'd perform in front of a big crowd and uh, in front of their the hometown fans. And I don't think the the agents thought they should go more than five minutes. That they might run out of ideas, or they might just blow up, you know, or that they just didn't have enough of a repertoire to put together a match. But you know, they. They didn't realize, you know, that these kids had followed wrestling all their lives and had, had watched endless uh, stampede wrestling shows and WWF shows and uh, were, were so inspired by their uncles, you know, Owen and Brett and Davey, their, their uncles, Bruce and Keith. So there's, I think some fans had some expectations, you know, of Stu Hart's grandkids wrestling in the match, you know, so um, these guys must be pretty good for their age, but but a lot of uh, other fans were maybe a little more uh, unsure. Like, what can these guys do at such a young age? These are, these are kids. I think a lot of fans were, um, were just kind of curious. They hoped that they would have fun, I guess, and enjoy themselves. But I think they were they were blown away by the moves that they did. It was a baby face match. You know, there was, there was no heels or anything, you know, no skullduggery or uh, trickery or anything like that. It was just a baby face match, but definitely... Harry and um, Ted were, were the favorites because they had the direct lineage to the Hart family. They were you know, direct uh, grandsons of Stu. But I think they were happy for all four of them. And it just went off uh, so well without any injuries, without any mistakes. And, you know, I don't, I don't think it, it hurt the show at all, you know, with the very first match. And uh, 
Uh, I think I saw them after the show. Just told them how proud I was of them, but they were pretty excited. You know, I think there was a, quite an adrenaline rush there for, for all four of them, but um, they were really satisfied. They were really happy. And they knew it was something that, that Matt would be proud of. And uh, I know Davey and Owen loved it, said you guys did great. You know, they, they got great feedback from all the, the other wrestlers who saw it. I think all the wrestlers watched it because they were curious. Let's see what Davey's kid and Owen's uh, nephew, Ted, could, could do in the room so so a lot of the wrestlers were watching and so i think we took them out for dinner or something after and uh you know it, it had been a pretty tough summer you know especially for ted losing uh, his younger brother and matt had probably the highest passion or dream of becoming a professional wrestler when he, was, when he was in school he talked about how much he wanted to be a wrestler and how uh how proud he wanted davy especially to be of him and that he wanted to pattern his style after him and so a tragedy that they had a pretty happy, positive result. Pro Wrestling Fringe was edited and produced by myself, Colt Cabana. The music is Invincible by Dev Kev. Check out my two other podcasts free on whatever podcast feed you're listening to this right now. Art of Wrestling is where I sit down with my friends and the stars of pro wrestling in person. I've been doing it since 2010. There's about 500 episodes, and I'm still putting out episodes periodically. Wrestling Anonymous is a new podcast I've started doing where people send in their anonymous wrestling stories. I edit them, curate them, and I share them in a very easy-to-listen-to podcast. It's the Wrestling Hotline Show you never knew you needed. ColtCabana.com is where you can find any information you need about me, ProWrestlingTees.com slash Colt Cabana is where you can get personal video messages from me and all of my t-shirts. ColtMerch.com is where you can get all other Colt Cabana merchandise, including all three of my Wrestling Road Diary documentaries. Everything is at Colt Cabana, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, and YouTube. Check me out on Twitch, twitch.tv slash Colt Cabana. And Patreon is where you can listen to all my podcast adventures ad-free. And I do two bonus shows of Wrestling Anonymous a month, patreon.com slash Colt Cabana. Don't forget about AEW, Monday and Tuesday on YouTube, Wednesday and Friday on both TNT and TBS. Head on over to AllEliteWrestling.com for all the information you'll ever need. This has been Pro Wrestling Fringe, the Calgary Kids. For Colt Cabana, I'm Colt Cabana. Thanks. My son, my uh, little son, and he's the next World Wrestling Federation champion.